Welcome to the Savvy Shopkeeper Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Cruz. Just like you, I'm an independent retail business owner. I love the home decor and gift boutique I co-own with my sister, but I don't want it to consume me or my life. Join me each week as I share lessons learned, helpful tips, and valuable information for your retail business and life. Whether you're buying your products or making your products, whether you're a 25K business or a $2.5 million business, I'm on a mission to help indie retailers work less, profit more, and grow. Let's get started on today's episode. Welcome to episode 171 of the Savvy Shopkeeper Retail Podcast. Protecting Your Retail Brand with Nicole Swartz of Sprout Law. I'm your host, Kathy Cruz. I am really excited today because most of you know I rarely do interviews. And I rarely, if I do interview anyone, I usually don't interview anyone other than store owners. But today, I thought it was really it would be really, really helpful if I could bring on Nicole Swartz, who's my trademark attorney, onto the podcast because I hear a lot of questions about trademarks, particularly for retail store owners, and I thought it would be helpful to bring Nicole on. So Nicole Swartz, she specializes in trademarks, right, Nicole? That's right. Hey, everybody. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here. So we will go ahead and share website and how you can follow Nicole, where you can get all the good information at the end of the episode. But Nicole, tell us first how you became or why you became an attorney and how you started to specialize in trademarks that I'm really interested in. I have a weird story. So buckle up because it's going to get random. So I graduated from law school and I was doing like securities law and I was like really interested in like regulating cryptocurrency and just like just random things. And then when I, w- I was like working in nine to five and I just hated it so much. And I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I wasn't exactly sure how. And then one day I was like scrolling Pinterest at two in the morning. Like I couldn't sleep and just like scrolling on my phone. And then I saw like a, like a formula or like a recipe for like a body scrub, like a sugar scrub. And I was like, oh, that's it. Like done. I'll start a beauty brand and I'll sell sugar scrubs. Like it was just this weird moment in my head where I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. So that's what I did. I just like, I went to like Walmart and I like filled my cart up with like $200 worth of like those big packs of sugar. And I like started making sugar scrubs in my kitchen, selling them at festivals. Like I spent the entire summer, like, and and I was just like messing around, but I was really like product testing and like talking to customers and like seeing what they liked and testing out the packaging. And people would be like, I thought this was ice cream. And I had to say like, Oh, okay, I'm going to change that around, like change the packaging and change the formula. And people like this flavor. And, you know, my husband has suggestions like try creamsicle and people would be like, Oh, that's terrible. So it was like (laughs) just trying out different things. So it was like really kind of like getting my, you know, my feet wet business wise. And then it started getting into stores and then it started getting into stores internationally. And then it was like in a bunch of retail stores all around the world. And so I was like, well, that's, not what I was expecting. Um, And I was like still working my law job on the side while I was like doing all of this. But then eventually it got to be like a full-time thing after two years. And then I got a cease and desist letter because my whole plan in doing this was to be like, I'm going to not be associated with the law. I don't want to deal with any of that. It's like, I'm burned out. I'm just going to have fun with this. Right. But then it turned into an actual business. And I was like, oh crap, I didn't focus on any of the legal stuff. Got a cease and desist letter because somebody was like, we trademarked this name. You can't use it anymore. And I had 30 days to change all of my packaging and send all the stores a really embarrassing email that was like, Hey guys, sorry. Like you can't sell any of these products anymore. I have to, I had to like pay to have them all sent back. I had to like send new packaging, like send new products. It was just like such a nightmare. Then I had to come up with a new brand name 
in the middle of all of that and like rebrand things and change the website and change my business cards and change the labels. And like, boy, it was just kind of a lot. And so as I was doing this, I was like, all right, time to take trademarks pretty seriously. And I started talking with it about, you know, with my friends, because one of the best things about running a business is that you become really good friends with a bunch of other women who run businesses. And so I was talking with all my friends about it and they were like, no, we don't know anything about trademarks. I don't know anything about that. And I had a conversation with one of my male friends who was running a business. And he's like, oh yeah, we have seven trademarks, eight patents. Like he just had everything. And all my women friends were like, no, I don't even know what that is. And so it just became like really clear to me. It's like, whoa, this is something that like women business owners need to take a lot more seriously, including myself and most of my friends. And so I just got really, really into it. I like read this whole big book about, you know, how do you, how, how the trademark process works. And I just got like, I was like, this is not going to happen to me or any of my friends. Like I was on a journey. And so I started doing it for my friends and then it grew into a business and they started referring me to their friends and et cetera, et cetera. And now it's been like six years of me running this, this law firm where all we do is trademark things and mostly for women business owners. Um, and obviously the first thing I did when I started this new business was trademark it. Cause I was like, I'm not going to do that again. So it's been a wild ride, but you know, making lemonade out of lemons. Here we are. Wow. Okay. So I had no idea. I have so many questions. I can't believe I didn't know this. I have so many questions specifically for all the retailers who listen to this podcast, who make their own products and for retail store owners with the brick and mortar spaces. I did not know that there was this type of connection. No wonder why I I felt compelled to get you on the podcast. So this makes a lot of sense. And I feel like you're really going to be able to answer our questions. You're so qualified to answer our (laughs) questions. Yes, I can answer from like the attorney answer. And then I can answer from the like, I've been there as a business owner. Right. So, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, so I, I told you, have, it was a wild ride. <laughs> I do have a list, particularly from group members who I asked them a couple days ago, what questions do you have? So when I record this, like I get your questions answered. So if you want, we can just kind of dig into that. Actually, first tell me, how many trademarks have you filed and obtained for small business owners at this point? Because I know the number is pretty big. Yeah. So we filed over 700 of them. A lot of them are still like in the process because it takes, as we'll talk about, it takes a minute to get them, usually about a year. So I don't know the exact number. I, I know that like historically our approval rate is like 98% wow. of trademarks that we filed get approved, but it's hard to say because they're all like, you know, kind of in motion at some point, but yeah. All right. So let's, let me ask my first question. I, and I think part of, part of the reason I have this question too, is for those of us with brick and mortar retail stores, we're so local based now with omni-channel retail, we are exploring the online world. We're getting into e-commerce. We're shipping all across the U.S. Some people who listen to this podcast ship worldwide. And if that's the case, you know, there's a lot of questions around how do I know as a retail brick and mortar store owner when it's time to trademark my retail business name? Yeah, there's like there's a lot there. So let's kind of start with like, because first, like, let's maybe talk about the trademark as the brand protection. So it's really protecting, like you said, like the name, you can protect the logo, you can protect the tagline. Those are all separate trademarks, but like the name is like the main thing that you would want to do. 
And then one of the things that you mentioned is like, there's all these different levels to it. Like there's state trademarks where it's like, you could just do it in your state. That's not really that valuable because as you mentioned, like you're shipping everywhere. And also like somebody who has the same name in another state can still be really confusing. Um, Like we have a a client that is a, is a shop and like people keep placing orders on another shop's website in a different state coming into their shop to pick it up. And they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And like vice versa, people will call them and be like, I placed an order. I want to come pick it up. And they're like, no, you didn't. And it ends up being like a shop in California. So there's confusion between states. So usually like the federal trademark is what you want to make sure that you can own this brand name and be able to ship, do business in any state. And then internationally, it gets really annoying and expensive because each country has their own system. So it's like, if you want to ship it into a different state, and sorry, into a different country, like you don't necessarily need a trademark to be doing business, but to have that brand protection, to make sure that you're not infringing on somebody else as well, um, you have to have a trademark in each country. So usually it doesn't make sense to do it in every country. I would say like pick the top country where you have the most sales. And then if you start, you know, getting like 20, 30% of sales from another country, maybe it makes sense to think about it there. But otherwise I would just kind of focus on like where your main market is. So that's kind of like had the structure, how they all work. Sorry, go ahead. That's okay. How does a retail store owner decide from the beginning whether they, so it sounds like you're saying state, you can trademark at the state level, but maybe that doesn't make sense because of omni-channel retail now and how many people we can reach. Federal makes sense. International would be a discussion maybe between you and, and and the client that's inquiring but how does a retail store owner decide? At, do they decide at the beginning? Do they decide when their brand is growing? What do you recommend? Yeah, I think it's sort of like, this is my woo-woo California answer. It's like, it's this gut feeling when you feel like if somebody else came out with this name, would you be, or somebody else trademarked it first and you had to like kind of limit what you were doing or not use it anymore. You got a cease and desist letter for it. Would it be like, oh, it's not a big deal. I'll just change it. I'll pivot. It's fine. Which some people feel that way. Some people feel that way on day one, year five. Like some people just aren't that attached to their brand name or they don't feel like there's that much brand equity in it. And that's fine. In which case you don't necessarily need to trademark it. If you feel like that would be a huge deal and I would be devastated, it would be a nightmare. Then that's when you want to start thinking about it. And for some people, that's like before it even launches. They're like, I'm obsessed with this name. This is the name. I want to like protect it. Some people feel like I'm going to try this out, see how it works. If it takes off after a year or two, then I'm going to trademark it. And like, that's, that's cool too. Like testing it making sure it works because trademark is an investment, you know, it's, as we'll talk about, it's usually around like $1,500. And so it makes sense to like, make sure this is a business that you want to be doing for a few years and that you've tested it out. You know, that like, this is the right name, the right products that you're going to be selling the right, you know, things like that. So it's kind of a little bit different for everybody. So I think that like, there's kind of those factors, like how, how important is the name to you and how likely, like how committed are you to the business? Like, do you see yourself doing this for, you know, maybe like I would say the next five years. And then there's the other part of it, which is like what industry you're in, because some industries are a lot more competitive when it comes to trademarks. And so retail shops are one of them specifically because it's going to cover like every type of product. So it's like you're selling apparel, you're selling beauty. You're also competing with apparel brands, beauty brands, retail shops that sell apparel and beauty. So it's kind of like 
the best of both worlds in a way, but from a trademark perspective, it's kind of like the worst of both worlds because everything can be similar. So it's just, it's a competitive industry that you want. So it's like maybe prioritize it a little bit sooner than like, you know, if you were a restaurant, I'd say like, maybe it's not as important. Okay. That makes sense. And talking about the investment, that's the one thing that I've, I've expressed to you. I know I said it in an email. So when I was looking for a trademark attorney, I asked my virtual assistant, you reminded me of this. I asked my virtual assistant to research and see if she can find any recommendations. And she really came through and she gave me a list. I think it was five. I visited all of their websites and I immediately knew that you were the person I wanted to move forward with. I have to say that your website was really clear and it was also, it gave me stepping stones. It gave me the ability first to book a call with you and that was really easy and it was a free discovery call. It also then gave me the ability to move forward a little bit and pay $59 just for you to do the search and know that the search was done appropriately or done well. I took that step. And then the next step was going ahead and and booking your service to get the trademark. So I loved that it was all very clear on your website. It It was a specialty of yours. You had... I feel like maybe not necessarily case studies, but you had information about how many trademarks you filed. You have experience. I felt very comfortable moving forward. So do you do you normally tell people, because I'm sure that's one of the biggest questions, is it just a standard $1,500 for a federal trademark? It kind of varies. Like, So our fee, the way that we do it is a flat rate. So like a lot of times when you see attorneys, like they'll do it hourly. So like if you see a quote for something, that's just the quote to like file it. And then most of the time, as if we talk about the process, we'll talk about like most of the time, the trademark office will want some back and forth with the attorney. They'll ask questions or they'll ask us to submit arguments. And so most attorneys charge hourly for that. We just do that as a package rate. So it's sort of like an all-inclusive as far as our fees, but the trademark office will have more fees depending on like how many classes you have. So for example, like if you have, like, if you just have a retail shop, that's just one class, it's going to be 255 plus our fee, which is 1200. So it's like 1455 is going to be like the total for it. But if you want to add more classes, it's 255 for each class. So it's like, if you also want to have, if you also want to do like courses and like coaching and consulting and things like that on the side, like that's a different class. And so there's kind of like a, a lot of the work that we do with our clients, it's like trying to figure out which classes make sense to add and which classes are like, and eh, it's kind of just a waste of your money. You don't necessarily need to do that. And so try to keep it around 1455, but yeah. And at what time do you determine the classes? Is that at the, at the point where somebody pays for you to do a search and then you come back and say, I recommend these three classes or just this one class for you? Um, usually, yeah, we'll, we'll do that during the search period. Usually we do it like in the application period. So after the search, we'll be like, okay, now we're going to put together your classes and like figure out what makes sense for you to do. And are there any ongoing costs after that to maintain the trademark? Yes. So year five, you have to renew year 10 and then every 10 years after that. Uh, And the renewal is going to be about like a thousand dollars ish. They, they're always raising the trademark office fees. So it's hard to like estimate what it would be, but I'd say like around a thousand dollars is probably a good budget. So that initial investment that someone would make for $1,500 would give them five years of trademark protection. Yes. Yeah. And then once you renew it, it's a lot easier than the actual application process. It's kind of just filling out a form and being like, yes, I'm still using it. And you're kind of clear to keep going. So it, 
I like to say that it's like, as long as you're still using it, it's really good forever. As long as you just are using it and file the renewals. This episode is brought to you by my free resource, Tools of the Retail Trade Resource Guide, a 28-page downloadable resource filled with software, tools, and equipment recommendations just for brick-and-mortar retail store owners. Learn what I use and what other store owners are using. Visit SavvyShopkeeper.com forward slash resources. That's SavvyShopkeeper.com forward slash resources and sign up for my newsletter to get the guide. Okay. And what can be trademarked? You kind of touched on this, but just to get really clear on it, what can be trademarked and what can't? Yes. The trademark, I like to think about like branding. So it's going to be for like your brand name, your logo, your tagline. And it's really about being like, you're the only one. And when you get the trademark, you're the only one who can use this brand name to sell what you sell. So you know, to sell apparel, to sell clothing, to be like a retail shop, to sell beauty products, to sell stationery, whatever it is. And so, you know, thinking about like Starbucks is the only coffee company that can sell coffee with that name. And so if somebody else is like, I'm Starbucks too, they can send a letter and be like, you're not allowed to use that name to sell coffee. And it works for like different variations. So if somebody was like, I'm Starbucks coffee company, like that's still too similar. And so, you know, sometimes we'll see like small variations in names and like you're able to stop those other brands from popping up Um, because people do pop up and they'll be like, I'm, I have the same name as you. Like this happens to us like every year. Somebody's like, we're Sprout Law and we do trademarks and we have to be like, what? No, you don't. Yeah. It's really nuts. (laughs) So we're like, what? Okay. Or they're like, we're Sprout Legal. And I'm like, you're not. (laughs) But you have to have the trademark to be able to stop people. It's kind of impossible to stop them without a trademark. So that's, that's where the trademark comes in. There's some things that you can't protect though. So it's like, you can't really protect like the concept behind a shop. So you can't say like, I want to be the only one who's selling. Uh, We had a client ask us this a couple of weeks ago. Like I want to be the only one who's selling like this certain type of earring from Brazil. And it's like, well, you can't be the only one that has that concept. Like, you know, my concept for my business is like, we're a law firm for women business owners. I can't protect like that. Anyone's allowed to protect that type of thing. So, okay. This concepts like business models, that kind of stuff is just really hard to protect. Okay. No, that, that helps. And it really helps when you said essentially like you can view it as your brand, you're protecting what are the parts and pieces of your brand that you can protect that clicked in my head. This was an interesting question from a group member. They asked, can you buy a trademark from someone? You can. I wouldn't. So first of all, it's going to be really expensive. I would say it's going to start around $10,000. That's for a trademark that somebody's not really even using. And then if it is valuable to them, it's going to cost significantly more. But also there's a lot of due diligence that you'd have to do to make sure that like their trademark is valid. A lot of times it will show up in the system. Like this is a mistake that I almost made when I had my season to this letter. I was like, I found this other person that was, it was a mess obviously, but I was like, I'm going to buy, asked to buy their trademark application. And what I didn't know, cause I didn't know anything about trademarks at the time is that it shows up as live in the trademark system. And so you might think like, oh, this person has a trademark, but everybody shows up as live if they have an application. And so the application might be being denied and never going to go through. And so you might spend money on something that has no value mistake I almost made. So don't do that. Um, So like, there's a lot of due diligence in the process of like making sure that this trademark you're buying, is actually worth something as well. And then you're going to have to have an agreement with them, which is also pretty expensive to, you know, make sure that you own it properly. So there's just, it's an expensive route to do. 
And that actually is a good segue into my next question of how do you prove that what you want to trademark is eligible for a trademark? Yeah, not every word can be trademarked. So sometimes words are so common or like descriptive that you can't trademark it. So an example would be like, I'm trying to think, like the Los Angeles shop, the best Los Angeles shop, or like, you know, if you, if you sell clothing, like little kids dresses, you know, like things that like literally describe what you sell. And these are bad examples, but like, you you know, you could think about it creatively, (laughs) like cute little kids, like that might not be trademarkable because it's like so common and it kind of describes you know, the products, your customers, the ingredients, like things like that. So like those things might not be able to, to be protected. Um, sometimes you can get a lower level of protection, but that's something we help you with during the search process is like figuring out, is this something that you actually can protect? And who, when you submit this paperwork, who's actually making the decision on this? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's attorneys at the trademark office. It's sort of like a, I like to think about it like, well, I shouldn't say an evil version of me because that's mean and they're, they are usually really great. So I'd say like a bizarro version of me who's like on the other side, who's uh, just an attorney who works for the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And usually they're they're really great and they want your application to go through. And there's just like a lot of like legal hoops that you have to jump through and like st- you kind of have to like help them make the case for you. But I've gotten on calls with them and they'll be like, oh, my gosh, I really want this mark to go through. Like, this is such a cute name. Uh, and so like, the, yeah, they're, they're really nice. I had a conversation with one of them the other day about like Reiki and we were like talking about her Reiki place in Alaska. Anyways, they're, they're really nice uh, attorneys on the other side, most of them. So, so there are humans on the other side of this process. Yes. That's yeah. what I was curious about. There are, it's not AI yet. <laughs> right. So we will see. We won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of attorneys, do you need an attorney to file for a trademark? So you don't technically need one. You can file the application yourself. It's not usually something that I would say to DIY it. There's some things I think you can DIY. Like I think an LLC, if you're going to file one of those, that with minimal research is really easy to DIY. It's just your name and address. And there's kind of nothing on the back end. They'll just do a quick search to be like, oh, nobody else has this exact name. Good. You're good. As long as you filled in your name and address correctly, you're good to go. And like, it's kind of the same thing with a copyright. If you do a little bit of research, you can usually figure that out yourself. A trademark is not one of those things just because there's so much context to it on the back end that you don't necessarily know. So it's not just about like, did you fill out your name and address? It's really about like, is there anybody else who has a similar brand? Is this protectable? They look at the millions of other trademarks that have been filed and they have to compare them against each other to say, no, do we think this is too similar? And they'll look at variations in spelling, variations in pronunciation, sometimes like very, like how the marks are structured. We had a somebody, one of our clients get denied originally because it was like the mark starts with A and then the middle letter is L and then it ends in X. And there was all these other letters in between. And we were like, but that's like totally different. And they were like, no, 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 the structure is the same. So it's like, and we ended up getting it approved actually yesterday, but it was just like, okay, we had to submit arguments about like, well, that doesn't make sense because according to this precedent in this case here, you decided this. And like, there's a lot of backend nonsense that kind of has to go, go on there that usually you would want an attorney to, to help you with it. Um, because according to the trademark office, about 80% of the applications, when you submit them of everybody who files get denied at first, and then you have to kind of like, you know, answer questions, get on the phone with them, make changes, um, submit arguments, resubmit 
you know, website screenshots, things like that. So it can, that's what I feel like kept me from moving forward, doing it myself and why I hired you is I feel like it's very nuanced and I didn't feel like dealing with all the nuances. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes it can be like most of the time, if you do DIY and you mess it up, we can fix it, but there's some things that you can't fix. And so we've had people DIY it and we've tried to fix it. And we've, it's been like, there's nothing we actually working with somebody right now like this, or it's like, there's nothing you can do to fix this. You've got to start all over, which means you have to pay the fees again. And it also means that you have to wait. It's usually about eight months from when you file it to when your application gets reviewed. So you have to go back to the beginning of the line. And in the meantime, anybody else who filed a similar application for a similar name, they're going to now have priority over you because your filing date is the latest date that you had to refile. So it can just get messy. Okay. That makes sense. And regarding classes, if we can go back to that, let's say, for example, a retail store, they want to trademark their name for their actual retail store business. Can they also trademark then? I think you you answered this, but I just want to make sure. Can you also trademark the name for a particular apparel line that you sell, that you make and sell out of your store too? Would that be two different classes? So technically those are two different classes, but we generally, this is not a legal term. We generally mush them into one. Um, so technically a retail shop that like, let's say you sell apparel in a retail shop. That's, this is class 35. It's technically for selling other people's products and then selling your own brand of apparel is in class 25. That's selling your own brand of, of products. But with the, the, the trademark office and the way they look at things, if you have class 35 and you're selling other people's retail products like apparel, they're going to say like, well, it's very similar to a retail shop in class 25 that sells your own apparel. Like they're so similar that you can just pick one of the classes, whatever one is more applicable to you. And it's going to give you coverage for the other one. It's kind of okay. short that's answer there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's just like a good, a good way to save on filing fees and not have to be paying all these different things. Yeah. And then worth paying for your service, because how would you know that? Like, I wouldn't know that I would just yeah. see two different classes and assume that I would need to file for both classes. Exactly. Yeah. And then along the same line for branding elements, it would be two different filings for your name and for your logo then. Yeah. That's the, that's the one that's kind of a pain because they're two separate applications. So you have to pay all the fees and filing fees and for the name. And then you have to do it again for the logo. We have a discounted rate for our services. If you're doing both like at any point, so you're not going to pay the full price for the logo, but you do have to pay all the filing fees and everything. The one thing I will say about the logo is that it has to be the final version of the logo, which I think is also very annoying. So it's like, if you end up changing your logo, even a little bit in the future, you have to file a whole new trademark and like it's the current one isn't really good anymore. So. Wow. Okay. That's kind of a pain. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It can, you know, it's it's not to say it's like, if you, if you change it completely, then the trademark is not good anymore. If you make minor changes to it, you're going to, you might have a hard time renewing it because you have to show that you're using it exactly the same. So. Okay. And the other question I have, and this one always is a little confusing to me. So let's say two businesses, do something similar, have similar names, or I guess we, for this example, I should say the same name and they both go to file for a trademark or maybe the one already has a trademark and then the other one goes to file. 
But let's say, for example, business A was established five years before business B. How I think that's like a big question for me. Like, how yeah. do who determines who's eligible or was the business that existed five years prior to the one that filed the trademark? Who wins? It's really messy. Okay. So <laughs> let's get into it. All right. So when the trademark office is looking at like who to give the trademark to, they don't look at anything other than who filed the application first. So they're going to give it to whoever filed first. If there's somebody who was using it before, but they're not the first person to file it, but they're like, come back and like, oh, actually I've been using it for 10 years. They can now challenge that person's trademark rights and say like, I have common law use to use it. And to show common law use, you'd want to have you know a good amount of sales. You'd want to be using it you know in, in various states, um, stuff like that. But usually the answer is going to be that like they kind of just leave each other alone, keep operating in their separate spaces. Um, maybe they'll have an agreement together that like they're not going to, you know, target each other's customers or something like that. Um, so usually the answer is they both just do their own thing. But sometimes a common law brand will have a bunch of money or sometimes they uh, we've had this situation like sometimes a celebrity gets involved and now like they want to go after small businesses like it can get it can get tricky. So yeah, it's good to check. I would say like it's good to check for other common law uses if there's other people out there. Also, like if there's if it's a brand name that a lot of people are using, there's a hundred brands out there that can also be hard to protect. So it's just kind of good to be like aware of those people. And like usually everybody just leaves each other alone and everybody kind of coexists. And like if you get the trademark, you shouldn't like reach out and try to stop them because they were using it beforehand. You should just try to stop future people. Ah, uh, that is the key there. Yeah. Okay. That makes it's kind of a mess and it kind of just depends on the situation. That, yeah. Case, yeah. Yeah. But that actually does answer the question. Cause I've often, I often wondered that it also makes sense that if like whose responsibility is it to do the due diligence then on the name, is it the business owners? Is it the attorney who goes to file the trademark? Do you do that kind of research on behalf of your client? Whose responsibility? We don't. Yeah. So we, we ask the client to do that. We tell them to like check Google, check social stuff like that. Our trademark search is going to be just for the trademark database because we want to just know like how it goes through. But we advise our clients that like this is a risk if there's common law people out there and to like search all these different places. The reason that we can't take it on is because like the internet is so big that like there could be like a website on the 300th page of Google that somebody's using it. And we're like, you know, if we said that we looked, then we've got to look on the 300th page of Google. And that's going to be like just it doesn't make sense for anybody to like pay for that much work to do. So it's like, it doesn't feel like a service that I could offer and feel like I could give a client a definitive answer and say, no, there's nobody out there because it's like, there's somebody could be using it on, you know, way down in the rabbit hole that I don't know, like on be real, the app or, you know, like on vine or I don't even think vines around anymore, but you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, so it's like, it's just good to like check. And I don't think you need to go down that many rabbit holes. Cause there's like, there's, again, there's no way that you could ever search the full internet or like, you know, people don't even have to be using it online. They could be using it like have no internet presence. So there's no way to like fully protect against that. But I think like just, you know, going through the first few pages of Google, um, the major social places, stuff like that. And I think the important thing too, is to look for like variations of it. So like I was saying with my brand name, like Sprout Law, I would also look for like Sprout Legal, Sprout Law Firm, Sprout Lawyers, like just variations on it. 
So it's knowledge is power. So if you have a retail business, you name your retail business, you do a Google search and you realize other people have the same retail business that have been established well before yours, you kind of need to know that even if you file for a trademark and get it, you may not necessarily be protected because other people have common law rights to that name, right? Is that exactly okay? Yeah. And it's like you might just keep all keep doing what you're doing, and that's great. It might still be good to get the trademark just to make sure that you have some leverage there. It might be good to get the trademark to make sure that somebody else doesn't come in and try to get the trademark and try to push you around. And also like there's the risk of the other brands that were out there before might be aggressive and try to send you a cease and desist letter at some point in the future. Like there's, there's just a lot of like unknowns about it. And so like part of the naming is like trying to reduce the risk as much as possible. Like to me, like not knowing is very similar to like having a bad result. You know, it's like, I want to know for sure that this is good. Like I was sent just as an example, I was sending a client a search results on a name. And it was like, I'm not saying no, but I'm saying we have no idea. And we have no way to know in the future. And like, as a business owner, you have to decide, is that, a, is that worth the risk? This episode is brought to you by the Savvy Shopkeeper Quiz. As a shopkeeper myself, I've learned that there are action steps we can take during specific stages on our retail journeys that help us create efficiency and improve profitability so we can grow. But first, it helps to know which stage you're in so I can help you determine what to focus on. Sign up for my newsletter and take the quiz to find out which shopkeeper stage you're in. You'll get a helpful Savvy Shopkeeper roadmap with a list of helpful podcast episodes and two free resources for where you currently are in your journey. If you want to take the quiz, visit SavvyShopkeeper.com forward slash quiz. You've already been so helpful and I just have a couple more questions yeah, before we sure. wrap it up, but I feel like you clarified a lot and I know you're, you're clarifying a lot for people that are listening. So how do you, or do you have, like once you do file for a trademark until it gets approved, do you have any kind of protection? No, unfortunately, which is kind of frustrating because it takes like a year to go through the process. So if somebody pops up in a year, I don't recommend reaching out to them because you don't have any rights to stop them. And also part of the process at the end of it is this publication process where they put it on a website and technically other people can like object to this application. And so I don't necessarily want to broadcast like if it's me personally. And this is kind of what I tell our clients too, is like, I don't love to broadcast that I have an application pending, but it's my own thing because I don't want, I'm, I'm just paranoid. You know, I don't want I have to put my little lawyer brain on, um, <laughs> get all the anxiety. And like, I don't want somebody to like see it and be like, Oh, I want to object to this. And like, you know, that's not to say that you would like lose this objection and lose the trademark, but it might take longer, cost you more money, just be a general pain. So I, I definitely wouldn't reach out um, to people before the, the process is final. And that means being proactive about it because it takes about a year. Or so publicly until it's final. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then it doesn't make sense to send any type of cease and desist letters to anyone until it's final. Yeah. And let me just add like a PSA about that. Definitely don't send a cease and desist letter or reach out to somebody if you have not filed your application. This happened like a month ago where somebody reached out to their these people they thought were copying them. The people filed the trademark application that day. 
and it was just a nightmare. And this person hadn't filed the trademark application yet. So they had like no rights to the name. It was going to be like a future name they're going to use. And it just, they lost all the rights to it. There was like nothing that we could do about it. Cause it was like, you kind of just screwed yourself. Why would you do this? Um, but anyways, so don't do that. Just PSA. Yeah. Don't reach out to anybody unless you have the actual trademark registration, reach out to a lawyer and ask, ask them to figure out what to do. So good to know. And I contacted you, I think two years ago, my trademark was final and approved and I waited to celebrate until it was done. So thank you. Savvy Shopkeeper is trademarked officially because of the So is it the same journey that I took two years ago? Is it if if free discovery call $59 for Mm -hmm. a search and then they could move forward and hire you to actually apply for the trademark? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, so it starts with the a call. But if you don't want to talk to me, we also have a webinar that you can watch. Um, and also, if you just want to move forward with, like, if you just are like, well, I'm ready to search, you can do that just via the website as well. So then that search is $59. That's just where we make sure it looks good, it looks available. You know, we think it has a good chance and we'll kind of give you a breakdown, like, here's why, here's why not, here's what we think. Um, and then we move forward with the actual application itself. And I have to say the communication process, I don't know how much of that you have automated, but I was really impressed with that too, because it was constant updates. This is a long process. It was over a year or 18 months or whatever it was. And I felt like it, I felt like I didn't have to reach out to you and ask you any questions because every two or three months I would get an update and it would say it's still under review. As soon as we hear anything, we'll let you know with a couple of like helpful points or things to consider or just keeping me informed along the way. And I really, really appreciated that. Like communication is so important to me. And I felt like I constantly had communication and I really didn't have to reach out to you. So once somebody pay, pay, like, let's say, for example, they pay the $1,500 or whatever the fee is. I mean, that's a flat $1,500 fee, regardless of whether they get the trademark or not, right? Yes. Yep. So we do it We do it that way as a flat fee. The reason that we do it, number one, is you know how much you're going to pay. And with a lot of attorneys, like the general model and like kind of why I do it this way is because like most people just get surprise bills of like, uh, we had a client send us another attorney's quote before it was like they just had to fix one thing which is clicking a button and they were going to get charged two thousand dollars for this just literally clicking a button and i was like that's going to take five seconds of my time so it's like just knowing how much you're going to pay but also you know on the downside is like okay what if i don't get a trademark do i still have to pay it and the reason that we do it as a flat rate is if you don't get a trademark it means you've gone through the process and we have submitted like long, long, long arguments and hours of research trying to fight for this for you. So the trademark office doesn't issue a refund, unfortunately, and and we don't either for our services because it means we've done a lot more work than we normally do on applications if they just went through right away. Yeah. And it makes sense. We're paying for your time and your time is worth something. Also, if we circle back to the beginning of this interview, you did say you have a really good conversion rate, but of course you can't guarantee it. It's not up to you. It's up to the, what did you call them? The attorney? Yeah. <laughs> like the bizarro versions the bizarro of me. Attorney. <laughs> yeah. Please don't come yeah. after my trademark. because <laughs> I mean it in the best possible way. It's just sort of like an alternate <laughs> universe version of me, but on the other side. Nicole, thank you so much. I know you've answered a lot of questions retail store owners have. I also know a lot of retail store owners haven't done this or haven't understood 
how valuable and how helpful it could be to them, especially as they want to grow their brands and they want to grow their brands across the U.S. or into other countries, too. So this has been really, really helpful. Tell everyone how they can find your website, connect with you on social media, all the good things. Absolutely. So actually, can I just like pop in with one more FAQ I just thought of? Yes. That it's a question that like so many people have, and I feel like maybe some people listening to this might have it as well. Like, so the LLC is different than a trademark and they're just considered very different things. They don't, you might need both of them. They, they kind of overlap. So the LLC is about like personal liability. It's just about like registering with the state and in exchange, you are not personally liable for things that happen in your business. So that's that. It does not protect your brand name at all. And so that's like the key point that people often just misunderstand or like, you know, a DBA is just like, that's just registering with your you know, county or your state, it doesn't give you any rights to the brand. And so the trademark is really just about like giving you the rights to that brand name. So just want to clear that up because I answer that like every day of my life. <laughs> my life is just being like LLCs and trademarks are different things. So absolutely. I'm so glad you answered that because that would be the one question I would get after this episode. But what yeah. about this? So thank yeah. you. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Now. Okay. <laughs> and you can find me at sproutlaw.com or on Instagram at sproutlaw. If you like celebrity trademark gossip, if you like celebrity, like talking about different celebrity launches that are coming up, we, I, I'm like a trademark nerd in the trademark database being like, Rihanna's filing this trademark, Katy Perry's in this trademark situation. So I want to clarify two things, sprout, like bean sprout, sproutlaw.com. Yes. And Sprout Law on Instagram and Facebook, did you say? Um, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all okay. of the all of the things. Okay. And I I have to say your newsletter is one of the most unique newsletters I get in my inbox. So yes, if that's your thank jam, you. go ahead and yes. subscribe to Nicole's <laughs> newsletter. Nicole, thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. And I know my listeners appreciate it too. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Bye, everybody. 